filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Sometimes in life we get uh, an omen, and I don't know how this uh, this thing that happened to me earlier today is uh, it, what it speaks to. Maybe I hope it does not apply to DC United. Uh, I hope it maybe it just applies to me personally. Um, Why are you already cursing us? Look, it's it's it wasn't my intention for this to happen, but maybe it, maybe it's an omen. Maybe it's just a thing that happened to me. Um, so I didn't get a great night's sleep last night, and so after we got. You know, we're speaking the day of big DC United news. And after we got our article out the door, I was like, ah, I feel kind of sore. I feel like I could use a nap. I'm just going to go lay down for, I'll set an alarm for like three hours from now. Whatever sleep I get in this window is That's great. That's a lot of nap. Well, I wasn't going to, I knew I wasn't going to fall asleep right away. So there was going to be a period of time where I'm just comfortable. And then I would fall asleep sometime later. So sometime in there, and that's how it went. I, for about an hour, I was scrolling on Twitter or reading articles on my phone and then Eventually, at some point, I put my phone down and dozed off, and I woke up. Um, and so I was still in bed, and I was like, I'll just, you know, let me see what I missed in the couple hours that I was out. Um, so when you're laying in bed, when you try and look at your phone, you're necessarily holding your phone above your face to some degree. Um, and within about three seconds of doing this, my phone fell out of my hand and hit me square in the face, um, like, and not like flat, but like the, the, the edge Ooh. side in the upper lip. So I was Ouch. actually, am I ble- is my lip bleeding a little bit? And it, it wasn't, but it was like, I just got to know, because when you get hit in the lip and it's like a hard object, your lip and your teeth. Uh, your phone are... literally punched you in the mouth. Getting hit, yes. You should... Getting hit in the teeth is awful. Yeah, it's not the best uh, among my, among the places I've been hit uh, in my life. It's not my favorite. Um, but yeah, that happened immediately. It was like, I woke up and I was like, oh, let me see what's going on. I, op- I unlocked my phone held it up and within two three seconds it was hitting me in the face and i was like boy this isn't promising for the rest of my day <laughs> but but you were fine and yeah your, your phone was fine it still I mean, works this, this, my teeth are intact this might be the I'm telling um, them to everyone <laughs> jason is burying to, to everyone meaning ben and me um this might be the beginning of like the prologue of the rise of the machines against us your phone, mm. you didn't drop it. It jumped out of your hand and punched you in the this mouth is, of its own Adam, volition. You're, you're offering up a, um, I'm going to go di- with a different and worse movie. Uh, I'm going to go with a maximum overdrive scenario. Um, if you, anyone's, if you enjoy bad movies, maximum overdrive is a 80s movie that Stephen King wrote and directed. Uh, he was like, directors are bad. I'm I can do a better job. Stephen King cannot direct. And he was also uh, coked out of his mind in the 80s. Um, and this yes. was like, at the peak no he's actually said straight up like i was on a lot of cocaine when i directed that movie um and it shows uh it is a movie about uh cars and many machines but not all machines uh inexplicably coming to life um the movie itself posits like 
three different explanations for why the machines came to life, which con which directly conflict with each other. And it's like, it's not people in the movie speculating. It's like a title card telling you a thing and then a title card telling you a different thing. Um, uh, it stars uh, Emilio Estevez. Um, it has uh, Yardley Smith, the voice of Lisa Simpson, uh, acting in, in human form, not in an animated form. Um, lots of incredibly bizarre insults, uh, people being called like puss bag. Um, sure. like that. It was the, the 80s. Entire, the entire soundtrack is ACDC music, um, which is <laughs> How do they astounding. afford that? Stephen King? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was the 80s. Probably Stephen King. happened in the 80s where it was just like, look, some, something happened. I can't explain it, but here we are. Um, maximum yeah. overdrive give it a watch don't expect it to be good expect it to be very bad but in a in a fun way ben you got to realize producers were heavily intoxicated <laughs> heavily altered uh just like all the creatives were so that you want how did it get made that's it that's the answer right there everyone was on cocaine hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united and not coked out of our minds podcast i'm adam taylor joined as always by jason anderson and ben bromley we are all from blackandredunited.com where we talk about dc united and specifically their new head coach that is just about all we're talking about uh today um ernan losada announced as dc united's new head coach uh monday so we uh we're gonna talk about it before we do that though ben what are you drinking I'm taking a bear's coat, a beer shot of uh, uh, Williamsburg Aleworks. It is. Uh, you're wrong. Uh, it, it of Williamsburg Tavern Ale. Uh, it's a nice, just classic brown ale. I've been drinking it on and off since 2007 uh, because they're local to where I went to college, and it's a good beer. It's a nice brown ale. All right. Jason, do you have a a beer shot? Uh, no, a bear's um, coat. I didn't. I didn't understand what was going on. I asked Adam to explain it to me exactly what was happening. Uh, and once he did, I was like, I understand. I don't feel like getting up and doing that. Um, so I could have lied, and I did consider possibly pretending, but I'm not going to pretend. I just have a beer. I do not have my scope. Um, uh, and what I've got is. Ironically enough, the exact it's it's the bit is back because I'm drinking Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager once again. So I'm sure I will now endure one year of being asked if I'm drinking the same beer as before, which I am not. But are you sure? I mean, it's the same one from last year. Why, why would you bring 2020 back into this into 2021? Isn't get a 20 like, thing originally? Maybe he's just trying to go back to the good old days with a good old a, beer. Like, it's fine to drink the same kind of beer. Just get a literally different liquid, like out of a different cup, out of a different I, bottle. I can't emphasize to you enough how much that is exactly what did happen. Uh, it is a different <laughs> can. It's a different liquid. Uh, but I understand that the tenets of the bit require you to continue insisting that I am lying to you. Uh, and I, I, by saying one year, I have opened myself up to a full year of the bit, I mean, Jason, uh, which is Jason. My, my mistake. I should have said like two weeks. Because of COVID lockdowns, it's been over a year since we've seen each other in person. So oh, yeah. I have no evidence that it's not the same. Well over, like it's same been two years. I don't even know. Yeah, it's, it's been, been a long, long time. time. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, completely coincidentally, uh, my wife had ordered some Belgian beer to be delivered um, to our house over the weekend. And so I am drinking a Duvel uh, Belgian golden ale. Very, very tasty. And oh, my scope, that, that's my beer. And my shot is actually Old Overholt. So cheers. When did your wife know about, uh, about Hernan Lasada and when did she know it? Uh, apparently before we did. So yeah, uh, or or she's just got intuition. I don't know. Anyway, welcome DC United fans to the Hernan Losada era, uh, the black and red firm reports from the weekend and officially named the 38 year old Argentine as the club's eighth ever head coach without any interim tag in front of it. He joins after a year and a half at the helm of Berscott in Belgium. Um, I confirmed with a Dutch speaking friend that that is in fact the the pronunciation of this club in Antwerp. Um, During his time there, he led them to a Belgian second division title and promotion to the top flight where they are currently in 10th, but also only three points out of fourth place. So they are in a very tight race there. The mid table in Belgium starts in third, I guess is basically what I'm saying. Um, so he, we have a new head coach. It finally happened. It uh, did. Many three, first time three and a half months. And f- four days before uh, the MLS Super Draft. Yeah. Not, which, uh, which he will not be here for. Yeah. Um, no. Which, to to be fair, is probably, like, I'm sure the, whatever discussion needed to happen between the team and him as far as, like, hey, wh- when you look at the roster, what do you think we should go for um, as far as the young players? I'm sure it's been hashed out as best as it can because he's going to be yeah. talking about like a positional profile, not a specific player. Exactly. Um, right. we- and yes, d- d- despite my count, my my trolley countdown on Twitter, he like d- if Dave Casper is good at anything, he's good at drafting players. He'll find somebody who has the best shot of any uh, basically anyone in the draft of, of making the team. So I, tr- I trust Dave Casper in that regard. So that's yeah, not me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, and this was, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like the, as we've talked about here, you know, stuff like the draft um, under the Casper Olson regime, I, I have personally seen them at Ludwig field a bunch of times Um but the person I've seen more often has been Casper, especially earlier in the college season, because in September, Olsen's got another thing going on. Um, you know, the team has a game that weekend. He has stuff to do on top of being a father and a husband and all that stuff. Um, not that that doesn't apply to Dave Casper, but he doesn't have a game to plan for specifically himself. Um, he's just a soccer automaton. A little bit. Um, he's covering a lot of ground. Um, I'm sure if I drove out to Charlottesville and went to see UVA play, I would probably see him there too. Um, so the college scouting has always been more his department than the head coach. So at least for this, you know, interim period, this one draft, it'll probably be business as usual, um, which isn't too bad. You know, I don't think DC's draft results have been amazing in the last five years or so, but they have definitely not been worse than an average MLS teams. I would say they're slightly above average um, in terms of the talent they've uh, picked out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes maybe, you know, not that, not that we should be spending that much time on the draft because we did this already, but like I'm thinking of Akeem Ward, for example, maybe didn't get enough opportunities 
uh, to show exactly what he could do in game scenarios. Um, but, you know, ultimately it wasn't like, it didn't look like he was about to be a starter right away or anything like that, but that's where the draft is. Um, this is the first time DC's had a chance to draft a um, high-end pick in quite a while, but I don't think people should get hung up on it. But I, I will say, though, I think Ben was right to use it as a benchmark just on the calendar because it's kind of like, hey, the season has begun, there's a draft. Um, it's like the event that tells you that things are actually happening, though we don't know when any right. of that's going to mean, happen this year either. Yeah, and actually, I'm, I'm going to bring this up. From... Go ahead. We, and we don't know when the season's going to happen, but we don't know when the season's not going to happen. So it, it, it could happen as early as March or as late as May-ish. Yeah, yeah, that's what's been reported. And I was I was going to save this for the end of the segment, but I'll bring it up. Um, in some other DC United news, Bill Hamid uh, revealed that he's gone under the knife for a sports hernia. Um, Steve Goff reporting uh, that it's a sports hernia. That'll be a six to eight week recovery. He joined Stephen Birnbaum on the shelf who had ankle surgery and I think has another seven to 12 weeks left in his recovery, something like that. Yeah, he, he was, um, he's on a like mid March to mid April recovery. Yeah, time. so reading reading between the lines, looking at DC United's apparent lack of urgency up to this point in the the head coaching search and these right, two exactly. surgeries, it seems like they are not planning on uh, an early March yeah. start to the season, and that squares and, with what what apparently lots of teams have been saying to reporters in their markets that. The, the season could start as late as May and nobody knows exactly when it'll yeah. be, but very few think it'll actually be in March, no matter what Don Garber says. Right. And I think I saw, uh, I think Steve Goff reported that uh, uh, Lasada won't even be in DC taking the reins full time for another four weeks. Right. And so. Yeah. They again, haven't even if, put, if, put if, in his visa paperwork yet. Right. Th- no, they have, they have from what, I think I saw. Or they, I saw. They, okay, it's either they just progress. put it in or it's in progress. Yeah, yeah. It, he doesn't have his visa. Yeah, yet, but no, no, he does not have a visa. Uh, but yeah, all, all of that also points to like them being able to slow play it. Also, just as like preseason's not starting in January Which, because right, the like, season's not starting in March. We're, we're recording this on the 18th. Like normally, the preseason would be starting in the next like today or the next two or three Day. days. Um, like we yeah. would be like players would be reporting and play, teams don't even know when their players are supposed to report. So, right. you know, the good news is that these surgeries are not, they might disrupt Hamid and Birnbaum's eventual participation in preseason, but they're not going to miss the whole preseason because I don't think the preseason is going to start even uh, if it starts in the next month, I would be mildly surprised just because of how much uncertainty there is right now. And, you need the teams right. can't be told like, "Hey, tell all your players to report tomorrow." It's not going to be that fast. Yeah, and there right. you mentioned the uncertainty. There's on so many different levels. There's uncertainty. There's you know, COVID cases are literally as bad as they've ever been in this country and in a lot yeah. of a lot of specific places in this country. Um, and then there's also a potential work stoppage, which we're not going to talk about the the CBA talks this week. Just know that there's been no progress and almost out of the gate, both sides are negotiating through the press. So that is not a good sign. Um, and so maybe the the extended calendar we have is, um, I won't call it a blessing, but it's uh, 
it, it it's it might be a, a potential mitigating United. factor. It yeah, might it might be a blessing for DC United getting two absolutely indispensable players uh, fixed up, uh, having some injuries that otherwise they might have had to play through this entire year. Um, yeah, getting getting Losada plenty of time. Uh, first of all, like I said, I don't know last week or two weeks ago, I am convinced that if they had had to move faster, we, it would be Chris Armas coaching DC United. I think they would have. Um, whatever the holdups were, whatever the hangups between them when, when they were in negotiations were, I think those negotiations would have gone a different way if they were in a hurry. Um, so it has changed the coaching uh, situation to one that I think is more, um, we don't know how it's going to go. Whereas I think we kind of knew how things were going to go under Armas. So it's at least more exciting. Um, but yeah, I think it's also just like last year was a particularly bad year for DC United to, have a COVID disrupted season when they're trying to adjust to playing differently, onboarding Edison Flores, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is a good year to have more of a run-up where you've got more time to get some stuff sorted out before you have to actually do something. Um, so yeah. it, 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 the weird, the weird world that we're in, in the last, now it's going to be two years that are very strange compared to a normal season. This time the knife is cutting the other way a little bit, and maybe we're getting uh, a little bit of a better setup for DC specifically. Well, let's talk about um, Losada's system here. It appears to be very attack focused. He emphasized verticality and chance creation at volume in his introductory news release. Um, we know that he's uh, an admirer of of Marcelo Bielsa, El Loco, um, living legend manager of Leeds United. Um, he He's a legend. He has, he has legend I'll, status. I'll, I'll, I'll let you set it up and I'll, then I'll, I did I could, I, I I've seen people calling saying that, that Bielsa is his mentor. I haven't seen any actual evidence of that. I just know he admires Bielsa and kind of models some of yeah. his principles after him. Um, but he, he wants to get up the field very quickly and he wants to press high up the field when the ball turns over and then, the other phases of the game, he he has some some different things. It sounds like from the tactical write ups that that we found online or that have been floating around. Um, it's interesting. It's different than what Ben Olsen did, certainly, and it's it's something closer to I think what what we've said we wanted this team to to do. Yeah, I, I, it's obviously much different than what Ben Olsen has done uh, over the past ten years, and. Uh, like you said, it's closer to what people have been clamoring for. Uh, I will say, uh, my opinion about Bielsa, just as as an aside, is just like I think he's very uh, renowned in in soccer Twitter, but uh, it, it's 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 yet to be seen how how that can apply in MLS or or at the at the league level so we'll, we'll we'll just we'll have to see what it does but i'm excited to see a young coach a young coach who wants to do attacking soccer uh and and uh, uh, just a fresh face just like we all love ben olsen but it's it's gonna be nice to see a fresh face take a look at the the players that dc united has because most of uh, uh, all of them who are signed basically are coming back and there's not that many uh, new positions to be, to be added to. And so it'll be interesting to see what a, a new face will do with Moses Nyman, Griffin Yao, uh, uh, Kevin Paredes. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he just is like, 
yeah, the, these are my guys or uh, yeah, it, it'll be just, it's, it's, it's a time for fresh eyes. I will say the closest uh, manager and or head coach in MLS, as far as principles to Bielsa is probably Matias Almeida who has his own spin on it with his man marking system, but he is as open and get up the field quickly and, and all that as Bielsa. And he's gotten very little help on the roster side in San Jose and has turned them into at the very least a must watch viewing. They're not always going to be good, but they're always going to be entertaining. Right. Um, I mean, that'd be great. Which, if DC United becomes much must watch viewing instead of just like, the dourest team in the league. I would at least take that in, in season one. And it's, it's, it's a focused direction, which I think, you know, yeah. going back to when we did our post-mortem on not just this season, but like the entire Ben Olsen era was that the team kept every year was its own little regiment or a segmented thing where it was kind of disconnected from everything else. Cause it was always the team trying to figure out what are we going to do right now? Um, and not what are we going to do for the next five years? Um, this is a hire you make with this, a longer term vision in mind. That's not to say that it's, you know, he might, Lozano might come here and it might go very badly, very quickly. Um, we have no idea, but we've opened up, I think a wider aperture for the range of things that could happen with this team. Um, and I think the fact that he has such a clear vision on what he wants to do uh, is at least that's following through on what, we on this show said we wanted, and I think what just about everyone in the fan base wanted, which is a team that is more willing to take risks. Um, and that has that, um, you know, a coach being given that opportunity to sort of set his feet and say, this is the direction we're going to go for a while. Um, and not like, well, this is the roster I have this year. So this is what I can do right now. Um, which is nice. I, I think that's the, it's the only way this team is going to get back to, being one of the big clubs in MLS is that vision. You're not going to get up there doing a every year is a different plan uh, strategy because you're never going to actually gain a lot of ground. You're always sort of uh, treading water uh, to try and stay, keep your head above water. And this is like, why don't we build a boat? Um, this is like that kind of uh, situation. Um, I think when Bielsa comes up, it conjures up an, an image that we may or may not get um in in looking around trying to find more about Lozada like we're all doing because you know let's face it the DC United fan base is not particularly well versed in Belgian soccer and also Lozada has coached 40 professional games um which is maybe a drawback um if if we're being perfectly honest we do have to bring up the fact that we're not talking about someone with a ton of experience um though DC's other potential hires a lot of them were guys with zero games as a head coach so there is that um but yeah I don't think a lot of us have seen the Belgian second division uh which is where like half of those games happened in um but yeah um it, it is an inter it's a very interesting moment for DC because the team is still sort of an ad hoc roster um you know one of the complaints I think we all had about Edison Flores wasn't even a complaint about Edison Flores or Julian Gressel for that matter. Um, it was that these players were brought in because they were good, not necessarily because they fit a specific role. It was like, well, we need someone that's good on the right, or we need a good, you know, guy that's kind of a 10 kind of not. Um, but that's it. Like, it was kind of a, like, well, we'll figure it out once they get here. 
Um, and this vision that Losada appears to have, his reputation is that he has, and that it, you know, he's the things he's talking about. Um, it includes a kind of a requirement that these players are not just sort of like, well, we'll figure it out. Um, this is more towards the preparedness side. This is going to be uh, a harder grind on the players in terms of their work on the training ground, not physically, but mentally, you know, what they're learning, what, how fast they can pick this up. Um, because a system like this falls apart very quickly. If you have one person that just doesn't care to do their homework, so to speak, um, you can't hide them. This is why um, San Jose sometimes goes through bad spells where they get a player that's either too physically tired to do the Almeida style of play or someone that's just not as engaged in um, adapting to their way of doing business. And when you have one, when you're giving, when you're taking it, the risks that we're talking about, um, and that there's a there's a link that's been going around. I can't remember the site off the top of my head, um, but it has some details of how Lozada's team played out of their out of a three five two anyway. And we're talking about like the outside center backs getting out toward the touchline and getting high up the field. We're talking about wing backs coming inside. Um, we're talking about big positional risks off the ball and and in possession. And if you have somebody who isn't doing exactly that or, or if they aren't doing their part they aren't pulling their weight as much as everyone else you'll you your group will be found out immediately um this will fall about fall apart very quickly if you have one passenger um and so that's going to be i don't think that i will say to you know to casper's credit and to the culture that olsen built internally i don't think dc has passengers within the roster right now i don't have any player where i'm like this guy is pretty good, but he just isn't really engaged in trying his best or trying at the training ground. But what they're going to have to take on is going to be different from what they've encountered before, regardless of formation. Um, it's system. This is why I try not to use system and formation as the same because they aren't system is a style of play. It's an, it's a foundational approach. It's not how the numbers line up. And, you know, when we make a lineup builder graphic, um, that's like the last part of the puzzle, not the first thing. It's just the, right. it's also the easiest thing to explain to people because it's just like, oh, here's an image. Um, but it's not a lot of times from what it sounds like, uh, a Hernan Lozada coach team is not going to look like that image. You know, they might start like that, but then when they get on the ball, you're, you're going to see guys popping up in places where you're like, hold on a second. Uh, yeah. what's he doing there? Um, but especially with the three back, it sounds like there's a lot of popping up where you don't expect, Right, um, creating from, for the wing backs, for the center backs, for everyone. This is, this is the um, there are strong elements of the um, juego de posición that is like Pep Guardiola's mm -hmm. thing, um, where the formation is the formation on paper, but what you're actually trying to do is create overloads all over the field, and you're very yeah. intentional about this is an overload I want. I want you four players creating this diamond in this space, um, which takes a lot it is a it's a very mentally demanding as well as physically demanding style of play um and so that yeah, might be, uh, but when it works it it looks right. really good you want to entertain right. this is a, a way to entertain people right and yes uh, the website is total football analysis mm -hmm. and yeah they were the one yes. that they've been uh they did some analysis in december about like the diamonds that uh losada likes to create all across the field yeah there's another analysis too from uh statsperform.com mm -hmm. um titled introducing Bearscoat, the most entertaining team in europe which that's quite a headline right and, and i will say like when you hear things like that and you hear bielsa people get ideas in their head and so dc united is writing a check right now um on entertainment value um yeah they the are fact that they're coming out and 
not just Lozada in the press release, but um, Jason Levin and Dave Casper both talked about, you know, we want to be an entertaining team. This is a, this is a big promise to make your fans. Um, and yep. you have to, you have to not just back your coach when that maybe it doesn't work right away. It's a completely different style of play. It's going to take some time. And we're also in the COVID era where we're, you know, as things are chaotic, we don't know exactly how much prep time they're going to get. Maybe preseason, maybe MLS is like, well, guess what? You get three and a half weeks preseason. Good luck. Um, which would be very bad. And MLS should not for everyone. Um, it's a terrible idea, but you know, MLS so many injuries. Yeah. The MLS has done dumb things in the past. They shouldn't do it, but maybe they will. Um, but at first there is a distinct possibility that we see growing pains with this. Um, and I, I just hope that people see the good and the bad and say, okay, we need to work on this rather than being like, well, this guy's no good. Um, which, you know, there is a patience thing that it's, it's not necessarily a fan's fault for being impatient with DC United because of how things have been for so long. Um, it, it is reasonable, I think, to be like, I want my team to play entertaining soccer and I would like them to do it starting today. Um, but, you know, they might be trying to play entertaining soccer, but not necessarily connecting fully right away um especially as you know Lozada has to learn which players can do what he wants at the speed he wants um which players function the best in whatever system he plays I think you know looking through and these things are I would advise people take them with a huge grain of salt but when you look for these formation listings on like transfer market or or um FB ref or whatever um data site you want to look for always take this stuff with a grain of salt. I wouldn't trust any of it uh, fully, but it just is a very rough guide. When you look at the formations listed with him, you get a lot of 3-5-2, 5-3-2, or 4-4-2 diamond, which reminds me of Greg Vanny. Um, Greg Vanny in Toronto cycled through those formations a lot. He would go game, you know, it was a kind of a game-by-game game thing. Right. Toronto would play 3-5-2 yeah. a lot, but then they would come to Audi Field and play a diamond. This happened twice last year, I think. Um, yeah, I saw another analysis, actually. That that showed three five two, three four two one, like a mm -hmm. three four three variant that, right, um, well, and it, then and then a, and then four two three one, sort of. right, um, um, which is which is like the stock standard formation sure. in soccer today. That um that four three four two one is the one that I've been daydreaming about since last year. Um, mm -hmm. as Jason and Ben can tell you, right. I've been but talking a, about a it off air. Positive version of it because we did yeah. see DC right. do it. It just wasn't. Yes. Applied in the same way. It's the formation, yes, but the system, no. Yeah, the the Jurgen Klopp era Dortmund three four two one is what I have in mind because uh, I'm a great big nerd and um, I think it would be fun as hell. And if I, I think it suits our roster too, which we'll I'm sure we'll get into a little bit today, but but more right. down the line. Um, I want to talk about the goal fests because the, his system in Belgium it's got him like it, it got them promoted and actually. Yeah something we'll we'll talk about um or, or our... do you want to talk about the belgian pyramid at length because it's very I, complicated i i don't i don't first and foremost minutes to sort through it but when they won the the second period of the second division they did it where they scored relatively few goals a little over a goal a game and then allowed only one goal a game yeah. um and Less and than. it was not it was eight in 14 Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they were really ironclad. And and it's the exact opposite of what they are now where they have, they, they are like third most scoring and I think the most Se conceding. Second, no, no, so second, there's one, 
the team in dead last has conceded more. Okay, but that's it. Um, yeah. And they've, of 18 teams, they're in 10th, but like I said at the top, you know, three points out of out of a Europa League spot. They're in which the mix is... for another very complicated thing in Belgian soccer, which is the playoff to get into uh, the third tier European competition, the Europa Conference League, which is a thing that exists now. Um, huh. They should have brought back the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, I, I don't That's care. That's what I was going to say. It doesn't make any sense, but the Cup, Cup Winners' Cup... Very interesting to me. A third tier oh. European competition that's like a weird amalgam Jason, of various things. Not what, interesting. What about, what, what about the Intertoto Cup? Well, the Intertoto Cup is a summer event. Um, so that's got its own problems. Because <laughs> um, that's how you qualify for some of these other things. Um, but yeah, the Belgian pyramid and the Belgian implementation of... This I was is, trying not to talk about this. I was just... I'm, I'm about to conclude. You stop me two words. I was, was going to say, is very complicated. Um, that's three it, words. It just, sounds, it just sounds like Hernan Losada is going to be well suited to uh, just be ready for the insanity that that's is true. MLS. Sure, if you that's can a good adapt, point. if you can, if you can figure out the 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 different periods of the Belgian second division and the different playoff scenarios to get into European competition, you can figure out Gam and Tam. Yeah, so. or just like the weird vagaries of the MLS schedule. Um, yeah, I feel like playoff. I feel like playoffs shouldn't be a big deal. Like, oh, it's just one playoff at the end of one single season. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I I will say our yeah. This should be that part of it should not be complicated for him at all because he's come through one of the most complicated setups there is. Um, that that said, their longest road trip from Antwerp is probably shorter than our shortest road trip from DC. More like, yeah, I assume every... I feel like their average, their average road trip is probably the same as me driving to DC from Richmond. Yeah. I, oh, it's I shorter. Assume, I would assume that their longest trip of the season is no, is, is at worst, like DC going to Red Bull Arena. Um, yeah. At, at worst. So that is something that he is going to have to consider is if you want to play a supposedly high octane um maximum overdrive style i'm going to keep bringing it up we're going to um, make that that's going to be that's what we're going to call it now no no we're not. Happening. we're not going yes to it do is this. Ben. we're not going to maximum overdrive um it's happening but yeah if you want to play that way that's great and will be very fun but there will be games where you have to go to play in, inexplicably go to play the galaxy on a wednesday night in LA after you just played on turf in New England on Sunday. Um, you Actual might thing have that to, has happened to DC United right there, by the right, way. Um, you might have to rotate heavily, or you might have to accept that for one game, you can't play the normal style. Um, and this is the push-pull that we've talked about a lot, where teams have to have, I keep saying it, teams have to, in MLS, you've got to have at least two things that your team can do um, as yeah. an overall approach. Um if Lozada is more like is more dogmatic and he says, no, we're going to play my way every game home or away, which is the Almeida uh, thought process. They don't they go to at LAFC or uh, at Columbus or wherever. They don't change what they do. They do what they're going to do. Um, and that's fine. But you have to accept that physically um, this is a different ball game. The, the difference in playing in MLS and coaching in MLS is different from anything he experienced uh, as a coach or as a player in Belgium. Um, and I would add Argentina from, if you go way back to the start of his career, because most of the teams are clustered in Buenos Aires. Um, so when, when Independiente had to play a big road match, it was probably just down the road. Cause it's just like 
Avellaneda is not far from downtown Buenos Aires. It's not, everything's kind of clustered. Most of the teams are up there. So he hasn't had to deal with this. I'm sure he's studied it. I'm sure it's like a theoretical thing that he knows goes on. Um, You aren't at this point, a modern coach uh, with tactically, and then being like, well, the physical side, you know, everyone will be fine. They just have to tough it out. No one thinks like that. You'd be a complete idiot to think like that. Um, but there's a difference between knowing it's a problem and knowing exactly how to adapt to it, how to deal with it. Um, this might also get into who his assist- assistants are. I know there are reports in Belgium that he's talking to um, a couple guys that are his were on his staff uh, there and bringing them over. But you know, this might be a situation where it might be helpful to have at least one person who has that. Um, American soccer experience where they've seen this stuff and be like, listen, you're, you haven't had to play a big game coming off of a six hour flight. Um, you don't know, you, you don't know exactly you how haven't had a snowstorm go. ground you in Oklahoma city for no reason. Right. So Adam, Adam, what, what I'm hearing is Jason Anderson for a DC United assistant coach. Uh, I mean, I'm here for it. I, I would hate to lose him on the podcast, but I mean, if you get an opportunity like that, Jason, you got to jump at it. I, I, I figured like, Chad Ashton would, would be in the mix to keep his current job if he wants it. I feel like what would happen very quickly is that one in a grand DC United tradition, uh, I would be immediately uh, seized upon by the fan base as an assistant coach that the fan base does not like um, much like <laughs> happened to Tom Sohn and, and to Chad Ashton, both of yeah, them. Were pretty yeah, much, I mean, exactly. pretty much the I fan can base promise like, you, as soon unlike... as they read the name was like, I don't like him. I don't like this guy. And it would happen to me. And I, in this case, unlike them, because they are credentialed coaches with a lot of experience that I don't have, I would deserve it. Um, people yeah. would be mad at me and I'd be like, I'm trying my best. I was going to uh, say, like, unlike Tommy Sohn and and unlike Chad Ashton, we would lead the charge on the fan base not liking you just because it would be hilarious. <laughs> as a bit. As a bit. As a bit. It would be a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, whoever they bring in, um, that is going to be an important factor because it is a – as much as the the rapid-fire schedule and the bizarreness of the various competitions that you have to deal with in America are their own weird little thing um, – the strangeness of having to do that like cross country trip to play on turf at Seattle or whatever, that's something he has never dealt with. And it's, it's a big part of the league because it's not just those trips to Seattle. Like that's a one, that's one really bad one, but there's also the like, you know, two plus hour flight to face Orlando or Chicago. Um, Dallas. You also have to be Orlando with their terrible weather and their, you have to be in Orlando sure. with their terrible weather and their terrible fans, and Playing or then you have, to fly to, you have to fly to Houston to play the Dynamo in their uh, uh, easy bake oven of a stadium, or it's yeah. There's a lot of stuff you don't have to deal with in Belgium that right. you got to deal with here. And I'm right. sure he's I, not I would hope this. That there's going to be. I would hope that if you're playing a more intense style which it sounds like losado wants to do um you're you're also making investments into the club's sports science department which i i think disorder has reported on some of the clubs that have put significant investment there and you hear names like toronto and seattle uh that have been in mls cup for every year (laughs) for the last several years um and it's something that it sounds like teams need to have because there's a unique 
uh, challenge in MLS that coaches need some advice on how to navigate. Uh, so I would hope that DC United would be making that investment alongside this coaching hire. Um, it's it's on. The, this is part of the big check the team is or the the big promise they're making is you can't hire someone to play this way and not give them the tools to succeed. And it, that's not just a sign X, Y, and Z players thing. That's yeah. that's the whole thing. The whole setup has to be ready for him to have success or otherwise you're kind of, you're wasting his time as well as everyone else's. If you are like, well, we brought you're in wasting your own money if you're yeah. not. Yeah. So uh, Losada will be the youngest active coach in MLS when he joins. He's 38 years old. Uh, that distinction was also held at one point by Ben Olson when he was hired. Jason, um, you and I were talking about this. That's not the only parallel between Losada and Ben Olson. Yeah, the way he ended up becoming um, Bearscoat's head coach is an interesting situation. It, the parallels are almost like too exact. Um, he finished his career as a club icon, uh, as a beloved player. He was a, he finished up as a starter. Um, retired and said, I guess I'll go into coaching now um, and was hired as an assistant. And then very quickly in that first season, they let their coach go because of unsatisfactory results. And so he was suddenly the head coach very quickly. Um, and uh, I, this is the exact path that Olsen took where he was at a club that he's beloved and he was an assistant coach for what, four months uh, before Anolfo was let go. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess if you count the preseason, it becomes six months, but right. um, yeah, it was very quick. And then all of a sudden you're, you're thrust into the head coaching role. Um, I will say the difference appears to be, you know, Olsen was very upfront with everyone saying he's learning on the job. Uh, Lozada appears to come into the job with a very clear vision. Now, you know, that can be a hazard too. You can come in with a very clear vision that ends up being incorrect for what you need to do. But his track record points to the idea that he wasn't really incorrect because he didn't just get them up to the first division with you know a combination of good results at the right time. And we don't want to go into the Belgian pyramid again, um, but it, it wasn't, uh, it was convoluted. Um, but then when they got up there, it wasn't, you know, promote, you think of every promoted club you think of, generally speaking, they get up and they're trying to make sure games are kind of uneventful so they can just get their feet and survive that first year. And he was like, we're going to go out and try and score a bunch of goals. And if you guys score some goals on us, that's fine. We just want to score more than you. Um, and so that's what they did all season. They have games that are, you know, five, five and six, three. And I think there's a five, two in there. Um, this is not a team that is playing for safety in, in the, or, you know, he left a team that wasn't playing to just hang on to survival they were trying to score as many goals as possible, even if it meant they were going to give up a bunch. There's just not a, the fear factor of conceding just wasn't there, which is um, something that to bring, go back to Almeida is something that has struck me over the past year is that unlike every other team in MLS, the Almeida San Jose earthquakes, just they just don't care that they've given up a goal. And there's something in American soccer where we tend to be, and I think this is baked in from the men's national team going back to, the 80s and 90s like the roots of all these people that are in coaching and in playing right now they all spent so many years trying like at the highest level in of the game in this country until you know maybe five ten years ago um trying not more, to concede it was survival soccer it was like we have to be smart we can't take risks um we have to play a certain approach and 
that's why Almeida is so different is that his teams are just like, yeah, fine. You scored a goal. Who cares? Um, we're going to go try and score three now. Good luck. Um, and sometimes they get blown out. Sometimes they give up six. Um, but there's not that fear. And I'm not saying Losada is going to coach just like Almeida. I don't expect full field man marking. Um, that doesn't, that hasn't come up in any of the things we've read yet. But what we are seeing is someone whose teams also play with that mindset of like, to score as many goals as we want to score, we're going to be taking risks positionally that mean we give up goals at the other end. And that's maybe the most radical departure from the DC United we're used to, which was a team that yeah. very often was trying very desperately to not concede first at the very least. I mean, this 2020, the games were almost first goal wins. Um, it felt yeah. for a lot of the year, like if DC concedes first, the game is over. Um, we're sunk. Uh, outside of the weird MLS's back uh, comebacks yes. via other teams making dramatic mistakes. Um, it's going to feel like we've done a 180 as a fan base. If if Lozada follows through on what it appears to be his intentions are, um, we're going to see a team that is just like, yeah, okay, we gave up a goal, so what? Um, which is going to be wild because outside of that brief back half of 2016, which is the only time in the last decade plus that we have that is a similar mindset where DC was just like, uh, screw it. It's we're up two one and it's the 80th minute. Let's try and score a third goal. We're not going to put the game to bed with possession. We're not going to put the game by dropping into a bunker and hoping to hold on for 10 minutes. We're going to send Lamar Nagel in uh, as a sub and hopefully he's going to score the third goal. And it worked. That's how he ended up. It was a lot of fun. It was also extremely yeah. stressful, but it was a lot of fun. And after years of being stressed out because the team is one mistake away from losing the game, it might be nice to be like, okay, fine, we conceded. So what? Yeah, and you got to think for the players. We saw the, how they responded to Chad Ashton um, kind of loosening the reins a little bit and saying, go forward, have fun, score goals. Um, we saw the team reacted to that. They almost snuck into the playoffs. Um, with a pretty decent record after after Ben Olsen left. Um, and this year was probably the most negative year of Ben Olsen's tenure stylistically. Like, you think back to, to 2010 and even 2013, they'd still tried to go forward in those years, and it just, they weren't good enough to do it outside of the Open Cup in 2013. In 2020, they didn't even try to go forward. It was just totally hanging on for dear life at the back. I don't know about and I don't I know about this mechanism. No, I, I think this was this was definitely the most distilled like actual realization of the popular conception of Benny Ball on the field. Like this was it, 2020 was was the worst DC United has been under Ben Olsen in my mind, at least to watch. Even more so than 2013 or 20, you know, 2010, which he took over on an interim basis. Um we saw how the players though responded when Chad Ashton took over and they, they were more positive. They were a little bit bubblier uh, in post game. They were definitely more bought in. And I hope that that's what we see under right. Losada as well. I spent today, you know, big chunks of today watching YouTube videos of, of Bearscoat highlights. And they actually put together a, a half hour documentary on their, their year from, November 2019 to November 2020 uh, when they got promotion and, and got into the, the first flight and they actually scored a goal one minute into their top flight uh, first game in the top flight and then beat the best team in Belgium club Bruges in their second game on the road. 
um they just had this blessed existence um and and so they they went that and it's all in english or it's mostly in english and when it's not it's got english subtitles so it's it's definitely worth watching um but one thing i noticed was just the the buy-in you need to have to play this kind of system and how losada is persona in the locker room and just the devotion he seems to inspire in his players at least at Bearscoat. um you almost it, it it almost has to be like a cult in the locker room and i think that's what you see in san jose with I with almeida like is they see i mean you have to buy into the system that's how the red bulls are too to be able to do this you have to buy in 100 percent that i have to be the one doing my job and i have to do it at 110 percent of what i have and that's how the system works. And like you, just, he's really passionate and all the players were too, and they were totally bought in. Um, and so if you're going to do it, this, this I seems think, like, I, I think framing it as a cult sucks. I, th- I, I hate that. All right. You can, you can, you can object to my characterization of it. That's fine. But the players have to all be, have like share the same vision with a heightened level of devotion. The, the investment has to be there. Um, you have to I mean, be personally... This isn't a casual thing to be able to play and, this way. And, and, you know, the best example we have in American soccer isn't even Matias Almeida. It's Paul Riley and the North Carolina Courage, um, who incidentally are in for a big challenge this year because they've lost so many talented players up the spine of their team that are both leaders and, like, the the mindset leaders as much as they are the excellent players. Um, but, yeah, this is the this is the issue that this style of play, like I said, I said before, there's no room for a passenger um, when you want to play this way. And it's not just the physical effort. It's also the buy-in to go deal with, you know, the fact that the coach says like, you need to watch this video. Um, You need to come in for extra film sessions so that we can break down exactly how you're supposed to be moving because the, the movements are going to look very fluid and unplanned, but a lot of this is going to be planned. Um, at least broadly speaking, um, sort of like how a jam band still has a plan of like what what the rhythm is going to be for the the uh, backbeat. Um, maybe your lead guitarist gets to do what they want, but a lot of other people are doing something that's very been planned out in advance, um, and it is demanding. Uh, it is it's something that you cannot half ass um, and succeed. You can you can come in and half ass and then be bad, and everyone be like, this one player is doing a really bad job. Um, and it'll, it, it will make itself clear very quickly, which players are trying their best and just not up to it versus the players who are just not bought in all the way. Um, but going back to what we talked about with Chad Ashton and the fact that, um, when the players were told, like, we're not going to change the system or the formation, we're just going to let it open up some and have some more fun, how engaged they instantly looked. Um, because they didn't have like, uh, you know, um, a manifesto of specific tactical requests they were like we would just like to enjoy ourselves a little bit um we want to go out and play games where if we concede one we're not screwed um you know let us let us off the chain a little bit uh let us let us run let us go do our thing um and you know this is like okay what if that's the mindset but then there's a very specific framework underpinning that um and that is that is the difficult part um it's going to be a test of the the entire roster's willingness to a their ability to grasp you know high end and different tactics than they've mo- than most of them have ever had to play 
Um, Yamil Assad's experience training with Velez Sarsfield under uh, Gabriel Heinze before he got hired by Atlanta. He might be the closest to knowing what's going on here. Um, a lot of these other guys haven't played in this sort of approach before. Um, their physical ability to endure it, their, um, you know, the ability to buy into all the stuff that you've got to do to make this work. Um, it is demanding. Um, it's serious. But, you know, these are the hallmarks of the teams that in this league that tend to win. There's a reason Bob Bradley um, can often sound self-congratulatory and a little arrogant about how his teams play. It's partially because his teams back it up a lot of the time and they're, his players have bought into the seriousness of what they're trying to do. Because, um, you know, entertaining soccer is fun, but it's also, it is serious. It is not something you just show up and have a kick about. Uh, the days of that uh, departed when we, you know, when players stopped smoking in the locker room at halftime. Um, you know, it's just, it's not possible unless you are fully invested uh, on like an, like, down to the bones invested in making it work. So that's the challenge for the roster. Um, and again, you know, we are speaking on presumptions with Lozada. We don't actually like, there is, there is the like tiny chance that he gets here and it, we come out in a four, two, three, one mid block that we've all seen a thousand times before. We're like, hold on a second. Um, but you know, that also could be this 2021, you know, how much of it is him trying to implement this style versus balancing the need to maybe get some results um, that might result, you know, it might be tempting for someone to tell him like, Hey, can we just try and grind out some results and get our feet under us? Because that's what DC United used to. Um, and so making that break as a club, you know, that institutional break from that old mindset to saying like, you gotta be okay with this high risk style. We might, we might get our asses handed to us uh, a couple times in May. You got to deal with it. You got to take the punch and then carry on. But that's that's a mental challenge. Yeah, I think that's true for both the players' relationship with the coach and also ownerships mm -hmm. and, and Dave Casper's relationship with the coach. We we saw Ben Olsen get a lot of leash over over the years because uh, of his status with the the club and also because of the the lack of resources. This is a different kind of challenge for the ownership because they might be putting more resources behind the team than they ever have, but it takes it might take some time for this system to to bear fruit. Um, but what I wanted to get, get at was the, the level of devotion, the bear scope players seem to have for Losada combined with the, the uptick we saw when it, Chad Ashton let them play a little bit more fun system, a little bit more attacking the, the combination of even more attacking from there. And, um, Losada's obvious charisma in the locker room. I think, uh, I hope it bodes well. Um, I think it could. And so that, that's what I wanted to get at. Uh, I mentioned I wanted to get into the roster, but we're going very long here. So we will, <laughs> we'll, we'll speculate maybe next week or, or down the line. We've got about, plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. we're not yeah, in a rush. Like we've got plenty of time to talk about DC United before they actually have anything to do. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more specifics, and how we, this roster might fit into Losada's system um, in, in an upcoming episode. I just want to throw in that it sounds like he speaks multiple languages, which is going to be pretty important. Um, yeah. On oh, yeah. he definitely on on these highlights and in that documentary in the locker room, he was always speaking English, right? Which was pretty, you know that which that is, bodes well. He he can sure. converse in English in the locker room, which is important in MLS. Yeah, but what, um, he, speaks, he speaks Spanish. Native is his first language, and yes. then he speaks 
French and German? I think I Dutch. Don't know about that. Yeah. Because uh, Antwerp be is Dutch. a Dutch speaking city. But yeah, it might be it's in the Flemish. It's in Flanders, the being, Flemish part, the Dutch part of Belgium. Being being a league position like MLS, like I I think we've talked about this on and off throughout the entire run of this show. Um, how important it is to have multiple staff members being able to converse in Spanish, not just some some quick pointer words where you can say, you know, tell someone but, to go yeah. to the right instead of coming to the middle like have actual conversations, build bonds, be specific. Um, and to be able to do all of that in English and Spanish, I think is, uh, if I owned an MLS team, I would straight up make it a job requirement um, for the head coach and probably for more people than just that, um, but especially for the head coach. So the fact that Lozada, um, he's already done, you know, the, the team posted his welcome message the, uh, that he did on video with English and Spanish. Um, that is huge. It's, it's maybe not gonna, it's flying under the radar a little bit, but it's an, an enormous thing for a team that has a locker room that is always going to be because of the way MLS acquire players. You're always going to have five, six, seven Spanish speakers, at least guys who maybe know some English, but not a lot. Like they might be lost if you do a full tactical meeting in English only, and you don't translate, um, things are going to get lost. And now that doesn't have to happen. He can, do both and everyone's on the same page. This is a, this is a big deal. I agree. And uh, we'll have more on, on Lozada and how he fits and, and everything coming up Uh, after the break though, we are going to have Scott Coyne from the Belgian football podcast on he's uh, over in England. He's been watching the Belgian league for a while now, and we're going to get his impressions of Hernan Lozada's time with Bearscope. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right, and your rights matter, and you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect, if you uh, if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government, call the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, if you want a free consultation, tell them we sent you. Go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to a supersized episode of Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Listeners to this show know that we like to bring outside experts on to help us scouting. Usually that's for an upcoming opponent, but today we're asking about DC United's first new head coach in a decade. Scott Coyne is one of the hosts of the Belgian football podcast, and uh, he's been following Hernan Losada's exploits at Bearscot. He joins us now. Scott, welcome. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Our pleasure. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, well, a good cold Belgian beer normally works for me, but, you know, tea's, tea's good is the second option. All right. Uh, what was your first reaction when you heard the news of Hernan Losada to DC United? Well, um, we were quite surprised at the Belgian Football Podcast because I think we first heard about this um, just a little bit over a week ago. There were some rumblings coming through that, that DC had an interest in Hernan, um, but we weren't sure kind of how um, serious that was. Um, and then on Sunday morning, I think it was, um, uh, we got word that uh, an agreement had been reached and that he told the board at Beershot that he was leaving and it was actually confirmed before before Beershot's game on Sunday there. Um, so it happened very, very quickly. Uh, Scott, I, I guess my, my first question is, you know, what we've been told on this side of the Atlantic and also what we've been able to find uh, reading up on Lozada is that the team that he, the teams that he put out tend to be very attack minded, um, very much um, high press, uh, intense is kind of something that we haven't had in, in DC in quite a while. Um, so I'm curious how much of that reputation is earned in your eyes? How, how, how much are we getting the truth uh, in our cursory research so far? I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of kind of Lusada's style for the most part. I mean, just to put this in context, actually, for you guys and for DC fans, um, he's a very young coach. And in coaching terms, he's probably still considered, um, you know, a, a little bit inexperienced. But actually, he's, he's, he's one of those young coaches who's just taken to um, senior coaching very, very quickly. Um, and hit the ground running. Um, he's, he's only been a head coach really for a little bit under three years, I think, actually. He retired as a player um, about four years ago, immediately went into coaching, um, immediately got a job uh, with the Beershot development side, um, working with a young squad, um, and within a year was kind of promoted to uh, head coach with the senior side. And things just kind of took off for him very, very quickly. And um, they won promotion at their at their first attempt under Lasara because at that time they were in the division below the top division. Um, I think he was lucky in having some great players at Beershot at that time that really suited the playing style. Um, and I think a lot, a lot of his ideas come from... Um, uh, Marcelo Bielsa, he's very heavily influenced by him, as many many modern coaches are now, and being South American as well himself, he's from uh, Buenos Aires. Um, I, I think that's a, a big factor in, in that kind of high tempo, aggressive attacking football where he likes a high press. And with with Hernan, it's all about winning the ball back as far as possible, as high up the park. If if you lose it as well, um, the downside to that, of course, is defensively, uh, Beershot have been a little bit suspect because they've not managed to kind of find, um, I suppose, the right balance and defensive shape and. I think that's typified by the fact that at one point this season, Beershot were actually top of the league, and not only had they scored the most goals, which you'd expect for the side that's top, they'd actually conceded more goals than the side that were bottom of the table, which is an absolutely bizarre statistic, I think, in any league. So it's um, it's pretty much all-out attack. So, you know, your guys' fullbacks are going to have to work pretty hard, I think, under his system. Yeah, that was... Um... 
one of the things I, I noticed looking through this, you know, he, he does have that high octane maximum overdrive kind of reputation at even very early in his career. Looking back at their last spell in the second division, though, the one where they actually finished top of the table and got into the final to, uh, well, they would have won promotion anyway, but both of those teams ultimately came up. The numbers look a little bit different. They were an adequate offense and an inadequate attack, but their defense was absolutely locked down less than a goal a game. Were they playing a different style then, or was it just working in a different way in the second division when he first took over? I think it's I think it's slightly different in the lower division. Um, I think the the kind of the, the, the attacking intent and the sharpness um, of sides attacking intent in the top division is 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 much stronger. Just the quality of opposition is better. I think so. I think you 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 can get away with a lot more um, in in that lower division than you can in the top division. I think especially when they were they were outscoring sides to the extent that they have been for a long time. They they were going through a bit of a sticky spell spell recently actually uh, for various reasons. They'd had a couple of games sort of postponed because of the virus. Um, they'd had an injury to kind of a key player, um, so their form had slipped a little bit recently. But that's that's only a very recent thing because they've been flying for the majority of the season so far. Uh, is, you know, we're with DC, we're kind of used to uh, a club that is maybe somewhere in the middle in terms of uh, spending. Um, what is, what has he been used to um, with, uh, with Bearscott in terms of their uh, finances? Is it something where he's making a lot uh, with very little or is he more, um, I know coming up from the second division, it's kind of, Seems likely that that's the case, but uh, I don't actually have any uh, uh, knowledge on that. Well, I think I think this will be kind of it'll be interesting to see how this this specific aspect kind of develops for you guys. I think because um, he, he he's not brought a great deal of players in to to Beershot himself. Beershot um, haven't spent. Uh, really at all in the current transfer window and aren't really expecting to. So his, his involvements in the transfer market actually have been pretty limited so far. So um, I, I think his success up to now has really been founded on his relationships with the players he's had at hand. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what he does do with you guys with resources, because I think the resources you use have got, um, I, I think, are going to be greater than what he's used to uh, at Beershot. Um, and I think that's maybe one of the attractive factors in coming to the MLS Forum, um, because that's an aspect that I think his hands are tied a little bit there. And, and I was speculating on our latest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast this week, actually, which will give you kind of a bit more context on all of this, that I think anyway, and this is just my own view, I think one of the reasons for the move is um, he has overachieved to a certain extent, and I think there might be a worry that can he continue to maintain that momentum um, beyond the end of the current season, um, because there would be a worry that they might lose two or three of their top players at the end of this season, around May time, um, because they've been doing so well. I think some of their main men are going to attract some interest, and I'm not sure Beershot have the resources to maybe go out and um, get somebody in the transfer market that would instantly step into some of those players' shoes. He's very lucky, actually, in that the, there's a player at Beershot who's their main man, uh, Raphael Holzhauser, who's, who's Austrian, 
um, who's a kind of all-round footballing genius, actually, and he's, he's, he's such a clever player that he's given a free role in the beer shirt system. So um, usually if he plays well, the whole side plays well, and if he doesn't, then they play less well. So, you know, how he handles having some money to spend uh, is going to be really, really interesting. But I know that you guys, I think I've got seven or eight South American players in your squad. So I think in the short term, um, I think that'll stand them in really good stead for just sort of bedding in there and, and kind of getting to know um, the squad that he has at his disposable because playing that high-tempo attacking football is something that culturally they're going to be very comfortable with, I think. Yeah, and even we have some players that came from Atlanta United under Tata Martino who also played a very front-foot attacking mm-hmm kind of system um i wanted to ask about rafa holzhauser uh specifically you mentioned he's the most important player he's having a career year right now um i think top of the league in goals and assists from that attacking midfield spot what is his role what is it he does in that free role that that makes the system work well it's about as free as a free role can be actually i mean he tends to he tends to play in center midfield um, but within that, he's 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 allowed to to drift. It is literally as free as that, and I think that is one of the reasons maybe why Beershot have been defensively suspect bizarrely as well, because in the role that he plays, if he strictly sticks to that central midfield role, um, you know, he 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 should track back from time to time and and kind of cover cover the defence a little bit. But quite often, because he's he's he's, he's such an attacking maverick, he, he kind of doesn't. So sometimes in the transitional play, um, Beershaw would get exposed um, a little bit. Um, Thankfully, he's he's kind of been on fire for most of the season, actually, and almost everything he's done has kind of turned to gold, really. Um, so they've been very lucky in that sense. Um, and you, you do wonder where they would be without a player like that. Um, they've got another player as well, um, Tisa Daly, uh, who's got a great relationship with Holzhauser, and they link up really well. Um, and he's he he got injured a couple of weeks ago and is going to be out for, I think, maybe another month or so. But his contract ends at the end of the season as well. Um, and I, I think he might be one who leaves... Uh, I think he'll move on, and I think that's going to affect Beershot. Um, we were beginning to wonder whether um, Lasara might want to take Holzhauser to the MLS with him, so we'll need to see, although he did sign a contract extension recently, so, um, you know, he'll, he'll cost some money should should that happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if he tried. Uh, Scott, more on the um, how Lozada relates with his players' um segment of things um obviously coming into a brand new club he's going to have to win over a bunch of of players who don't know him which is kind of a different dynamic than he walked into um when he took over the job because he had been a player there and then uh an assistant in in the uh, coaching with the youth team and all that um so he was kind of a known quantity but i guess my question is still kind of the same anyway is that um how effective do you think he is in terms of winning his players over and getting them to buy into what is, you know, it's a pretty, it sounds like a pretty demanding style of soccer. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, 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 he's a very modern coach. So I think for him, it is really all about the relationships. Um, I think he's probably had a very quick look at the squad that's already there as well. Um, 
And I'm sure that'll have been a factor. That's always something that, you know, really smart coaches do. You know what I mean? They have a look at what's at their disposal already as well. Um, and coming in um, at really short notice as well, I, I think probably is going to longer term uh, help him out. One thing that will be interesting to see as well is I'm not sure how much of his backroom staff that he worked with at Beershot he's going to be able to bring with him, if any at all, because I know that Will Still, uh, who was his assistant, uh, who was quite close to at Beershot, Will has today uh, confirmed that he's going to uh, take up the, the beer shot job, which is important for them because that'll ensure some continuity with a system that they works really well for them. So he he's actually an even over. younger guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, Hernan's Hernan's thirty eight, and Will's Will's twenty eight. Um, so you know he's 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 just become the youngest coach in the the top flight in Belgium ever um, mm. by quite some distance as well. So that that what? that's amazing. And obviously, Lasada's going to be the youngest coach now in the MLS. Mm. Um, so I think the some of the um, sports science staff have also confirmed they're going to be staying at Beershot. So um, it might take him a wee bit of time to uh, put together a new backroom staff um, because he won't be able to bring his kind of full team with him. Um, but I, I don't imagine he'll have any problems kind of forming a connection uh, with your guys' kind of squad because he's very much a people person. He's, he's very well liked by the media in Belgium and he's liked by fans of other sides as well, which is not something that all managers can say. He's a, um, he's a very energetic kind of character and um, I kind of took an instant liking to him before um, I'd even seen too much of kind of beer shot play under him, actually. He's that sort of person. He walks into a room and he just kind of sort of lights the place up. Um, you know, he's, he's good at connecting with people. And, and I think that's, that's why this is such a, a great appointment for you guys, because there was interest in him from uh, Nice in League One in France. They were interested recently, but didn't, didn't kind of progress their interest when they sacked uh, Patrick Vieira. Um, so Another, um, alum there, Patrick Vieira. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think this is this is an example. I think of DC identifying a really talented young coach who um, has done really well in his first job and going. Do you know what we like the look of what this guy's doing? Uh, let's take this template. Um, we'd like to work with this, um, and I think you've got in ahead of other sides. Um, and that that that's 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 a great piece of recruitment for you guys, definitely. Yeah, it definitely seems like striking while the iron's hot, both for the club and and for Losada. Like as you said, trying to capitalize on his good good form and good record to date. Um, we've been kind of trying to figure out how DC United's roster fits into Losada's system, which seems to be pretty flexible as far as formation and the tactics. He's got his principles and his style of play that he wants to implement, but he seems pretty flexible on whether he comes out with a back three, back five, back four, number of midfielders, number of forwards all seem to be in flux. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I think that'd be fair. I mean, I think he, he likes um, he likes a 3-5-2, um, which tends to become a five-three-two, obviously out of possession with the fullbacks drop in. The problem I think Beershot have had is they don't often do that kind of tightly enough, and because of the high press, um, if they lose the ball um, and and don't win possession back high up the park as he likes to do with this high press, then they tend to get caught in in transitions because the fullbacks don't don't often drop back. So it's that thing. You know, the all sides who play that way experience, and it's really down to to, to kind of the fullbacks really to kind of judge that balance between 
you know, pushing on and kind of tracking back when necessary. And they've, they've never quite got an ideal balance there, which is why they've conceded as many goals as they have, which has been less of a problem for them because they've been outscoring everybody. So, I mean, there was a game earlier on this season that finished um, 5-5 with Beershot. Um you know, it was just, it was, it was crazy, you know what I mean? And they were, I think they were three up at one point. Um, and you think, okay, well, you know, they, they, they still kept pushing on to score more. So DC are going to become great to watch. Um, and I think uh, you're going to become a fitter side because you have to be quite fit to play that way. You know, Marcelo Bales is always talking about the physical demands of playing the way he wants to play. Um, so um, anybody who doesn't like, you know, really hard work, um, I think is going to sort of struggle. You know those sorts of players who don't don't give necessarily a lot in training um, probably aren't going to respond that well to him. Um, you know, hard work in training as well as as on match days is 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 what he's all about. So one last question um, on American soccer Twitter over the last day, there's been. I don't have a better word for it. There's been a lot of thirst for Hernan Losada and. The way he looks, the way he dresses, there have been a lot of fans who have just become instant admirers of him. Was that a phenomenon while he was at Bearscott? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, like I was saying, he's, you know, I, I took an instant liking to him kind of the, the first time I kind of came across him. Um, and that, that was more to do with the fact he uh, he, he likes... Well, he'll wear kind of traditional kind of coach wear on the, the touchline sometimes, you know what I mean? He likes a baseball cap, you know what I mean? He likes he likes tracksuits, you know, not unusual things. But you will also see him in kind of sharper gear as well. You know, he likes um, he likes a waistcoat, which I quite like as well. You know, he's, he's sartorially quite elegant. He is, he is well-dressed and kind of presented, I think. Um, so if the club are looking for somebody who, who is very well-presented, um, then he fits the bill there as well. Um, but he's he's very flexible about that. You know, he's not one of these people who has a kind of template, and he, he is he's he's always like that. He's very stylish. Um, he's he's lived in Europe for a long time now as well. Um, he's been in Belgium for almost twenty years and and spent um, the majority of his playing career there. Obviously, he was in um, South America as a player when he was younger for a while, and then kind of came to Europe, got the move to Europe, and then spent most of his playing career in um, around Belgium. Um, and kind of fell in love with the city of Antwerp, where Beershot are based. Um, but he's played for a number of Belgian clubs as well. So um, coming coming to the MLS means he's he's slightly closer to home, um, and uh, he's still has family back in in Argentina as well. Um, and I think I think his his family will be moving over to DC with him as well. So um, it's not going to be one of those situations where, you know, he's working and kind of traveling back and forth between Belgium or anything like that. He's, he is going to have to be based there. Um, and he's he's already, you know, an immediate flight. He was he was away as pretty much as soon as the game had finished, I think, on Sunday evening there. He kind of said his farewells and uh, was on was on the kind of first flight out. All right. Well, we're looking forward to to seeing how he does and obviously rooting for him. Scott, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you elsewhere. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, you can find the, the Belgian Football Podcast wherever you kind of get your podcast. Just search for the Belgian Football Podcast and you'll you'll find us there. You can get us on Twitter at Belgian Podcast as well. And we'll be keeping an eye on uh, how Hernan does out in uh, Washington. All right. Cheers, Scott. 
Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com, patreon.com if you want to support us financially. Find us on Twitter at blackandredu for the website, at filibusterdcu for this here podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. I'm, I'm told ratings and reviews are very important wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Tell them about the, the great discussion and intel you heard about Hernan Lozada tonight. Um, whenever you're talking about DC United, just spread the word. That's about the nicest thing you can do for us. For Jason and Ben and thanking Scott Coyne one more time, I'm Adam Taylor, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Maximum overdrive. Here for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's happening, Ben. <laughs> <laughs>